Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 59. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And this week we watched the 1953 movie Roman Holiday. So Charles, tell us about it. A royal European princess named Anne is visiting Rome for various political duties, um, but she's tired of being a princess and having a busy schedule. So she runs away from her home or wherever they're staying in the middle of the night and ends up falling asleep uh, just somewhere in Rome where she gets discovered by a news reporter named Joe Bradley. And uh, he kind of tries to get rid of her safely, but is unable to. So he takes her into his apartment and lets her stay there to keep her safe. And the next day, the news reporter finds out that he's got a princess in his apartment and that he can profit greatly if he gets an exclusive story from her. He makes the guise of being like really friendly and accommodating to her, kind of takes her out to do whatever she wants around Rome, hoping to get the scoop and write a story. In going about doing the story, he falls in love with her because, I mean, she's Anne, she's uh, Aubrey Hepburn, so. Yep, hard not to. Who wouldn't, right? Eventually, she has to go back to being a princess, but he decides not to print the story that he was trying to prepare. Yeah, then they part ways. Yeah. Uh, so this was my selection. It was. Uh, for, to watch Roman Holiday. Um, I felt like we had been on a big run of dude movies lately. Like we had several <laughs> in a row that were all about like fighting people or spies or yeah. cops doing stuff. Um, so I felt like we wanted to, and they were also recent movies, like stuff from the 90s and forward. So I felt like we wanted to go back to, you know, the classic Hollywood and also uh, find something that maybe is a little less testosterone driven. Um, and also this is a really important movie. This is one of those American movies that kind of set the stage for a lot of what came after it. Um, it influenced a lot of movies that have been written and produced since then. So in that sense, even if it, I think it's a, it has that thing where like it, it feels like it's wrote, even though it's, it's kind of did a lot of that stuff first. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one of those movies, but you still need to see it and it still does those things well. So I think it's worth watching in that sense. And it's still just a fun movie for me. Um, what do you think of Rowan Holiday? Felt really concerned for Audrey Hepburn. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gregory Peck's character is predatory and a liar. <laughs> a liar, yeah. yeah his, his motivations are bad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, which is the, the, the arc of the character, right? Like, he eventually realizes that, and that's why he doesn't turn in the story and doesn't use the pictures and all that. Um, yeah. It but feels what, like it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. Longer than I remembered. It was. It was over the halfway point in well, which he like well starts to even like entertain the notion that he might be doing something bad. Yeah, I, th- I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's not clear if she even ever gets there on her own. Like, she seems like she's mostly on Gregory Peck's side the whole time. Like that, she yeah. she buys into it basically the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's him, and it's him like coming realizing himself that what he's doing is manipulative and abusive, <laughs> and to to change his ways is nothing. It's not her confronting him about it. Yeah. Because it um, never happens. In terms of the movie, like, I I think that it's a great performance by Hepburn, one of the all-time greats. Um, Peck, I found to be very wooden and oafish. He's almost. not funny. Not funny at all. And whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I felt like yeah. the way he portrayed his character fit 
you know, how they wrote him. Yeah, I, I, Wooden and Ofish is strong to me, but uh, we were talking about this off the air, that they originally wanted Cary Grant for this role, uh-huh. and Grant turned it down. That would have been a much better movie. would have been a better movie, because hey, Cary Grant's a <laughs> comedic actor, right? He would have he would have suited it better. Yeah. Um, and so, like, watching this movie, imagining Cary Grant, like, it feels at least like a very different movie, if not an outright better movie. Yeah. Um, and Peck found out about that at some point. He, he almost turned down this role... Uh, because he always felt like he was playing second fiddle to Cary Grant whenever he was offered a, a, a comedy. Um, and there's a reason for that. Like, Cary Grant, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say one or the other is a better actor, but Cary Grant is certainly the better comedian. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's very close at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you see it here. Yeah. He's got a very serious face a lot of the time. Right. Well, very and intense. Mo- yeah, and his most famous part is by a wide margin, Atticus Finch, mm-hmm. who is a pretty serious guy and plays this very paternal figure in To Kill a Mockingbird, and he is perfectly suited for that role, um, and it's not funny. <laughs> Atticus mentions it's not funny. He doesn't have comedy jobs whatsoever. He like he can't go back and forth with his neighbor when it's supposed to be comedic or his boss, and like it. It was funny I, yeah. watching him try to be funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that he his comedy. I think there are two spots where it worked, at least. Um, when he's trying to get his photographer buddy to shut up, right? And, like, there's this physical humor angle to it. Oh, I found that annoying. And, like, at that might yeah, be I mostly... Just, I didn't like that gag that much. Oh, that might be mostly the other guy that kind of made it work. Um, yeah. They the, abused it, too. They did it, like... They, twice. Did, it twice, they did it twice, and twice. they dragged it, was, it on way too long. It was yeah, multiple times. times in each session, Yeah, too. Yeah, and that's and very, like, of its era, I to, think. To set the scene, yeah. he's, like, trying to get his buddy not to say something in yeah. the moment and he like pushes him over spills his glass on him like, as he's about to plays so it off as an accident and yeah yeah, yeah. And somehow Audrey Hepburn like doesn't figure that out yeah. um, the other moment that I think kind of worked was when they were doing the uh, mouth of truth and he sticks his hand in there and like that was hilarious yeah, yeah that one great. worked um, yeah. and apparently the second time because he he goes in there and he pretends to get bit right and like that was scripted so the the premise is that there's apparently i don't know if this is real it probably is um this thing in rome like it's a face it is it is real so there's a face statue like in the side of this wall and you stick your hand in there and if you're a truthful person you're fine and if you're an untruthful person it bites off your hand right and so peck sticks his hand in there and then he mimes his hand getting bitten off and audrey hepburn freaks out and he pulls his hand off the script called for him to just pull his hand out what Gregory Peck actually did was stick his hand in his sleeve and, and hold it up as though it were empty. And Audrey Hepburn was surprised by this, so her reaction after that was, was sincere. Yeah, so I didn't expect him to good. sell it to that length. That was that made the scene like yeah, that, go to the next level. That's his funniest moment in the movie. Yeah, and then he then he sticks yeah, his hand out with like, yeah. uh, how do you do? And offers a handshake. Right. That's so good. Then he goes back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then he goes back. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I found even when he's walking around, he doesn't like even bend his legs. Like he looks like a <laughs> an action figure that doesn't have like all the joints. Uh, uh, no, I don't. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention to that. <laughs> no, I, 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 and I also think his interactions with um, his boss at the beginning of the movie, when he's he's lying about having interviewed the princess. And he's like gradually <laughs> building up this line. His he's like as, bullshitting as, about what the princess would have said about international relations. Right. He's right. Like, oh, the effects. It could be direct. Or, or indirect. indirect. <laughs> the direct ones being more direct than the indirect, of course. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Like, that worked for me. <laughs> I, I like the callback to that at the end of yes. the film. Because she's like, 
answering journalists' questions with the same kind of bullshit answers. Yeah, <laughs> like he yeah. was right. Like his lies were yeah. accurate. Yeah, he didn't need the interviewer. Right. Um, but the, it was funny because we know that the editor knows that that interview never happened. Um, and so I thought that 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 line worked or that bit worked. So he had his he had his moments here. Like I think Gregory Peck was that, that didn't was fine. Any of that part no, there. that one yeah. didn't laugh for you either. Yeah, I was okay. amused by it. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, we we got some. Um, I but I agree in general that uh, Cary Grant would have been better, and Gregory Peck is not the selling point for this movie. This movie is about no. This is Hepburn. Audrey uh, Hepburn. What else has Cary Grant been in? Have I seen him? Cary Grant, um, most famously, uh, His Girl Friday um, is probably his. We have you seen His Girl Friday? Um, okay, that's too bad. Um, Bringing Up Baby? Nope. Nope. Have you, have, Crossman, have you seen Bringing Up Baby? No? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm DBing him. Yeah, okay. He, he's a fit, famous, uh, it's kind of a slapstick, goofball sort of comedian. Yeah, I um, recognize the name, but oh, he's in North by Northwest. Yeah, North I've, by, yeah. I've seen him in that. Yeah, okay. North by Northwest, where he's, he's funny in everything. Uh, he's just uh-huh. one of those guys that's just funny. Um, so we should do a Cary Grant movie. You're gonna go North by Northwest. That's a great to, film. I would be happy to watch North by Northwest. Um, but yeah, he's the, and he was very famous. Like he was just mm-hmm. next level. Yeah. The yeah. I recognize his name. I just I can't conjure up what yeah. he looks like or what movies he was. And in. he was also at the time like the heartthrob. Like he's a very yeah. looking, good looking guy. Um, and so like, he was the Brad Pitt of his day. Yeah, yeah. Pick your attractive actor, but I mean, he was also a comedian. Um, and it turns this is and was one of the open secrets in Hollywood, and now an open secret everywhere that he was also living with a man mm-hmm. for a lot of his time. That he was bisexual, um, and not out, but actually out uh, for mm-hmm. a lot of his life. And so, yeah, Cary Grant's an interesting guy. Um, but this movie's about Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, uh, have you seen any Hepburn movies before this? I don't think so. No. no. Okay. Uh, what do you? I mean, her image kind of transcends her films. In yeah, a lot of I mean, ways, I've right? Like, seen a lot of that, right? Around. Like you, and like what she looks like, and her style, and her build, especially like a, a lot of that, like goes beyond the movies that she was actually in. Like, so has that penetrated your pop culture consciousness? Yeah, for sure. Okay. It's hard to avoid yeah. these days. I feel like was I mean, she, you always see that breakfast at Tiffany's image, like everywhere. Very famous. Yeah, and she was a character in the Aviator, right? Probably like right. everybody she from that. Kate Blanchett in that one. What? No, what's Kate Blanchett wasn't Hepburn. Um, who was it? Kate Blanchett was somebody else, but uh, okay. I think you're right that she very likely was. Um, so, but this was her first major role. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so this is the one that introduced most people to Audrey Hepburn. She was in other movies before this. She had a big stage presence. It was it was Kate Blanchett. It was. Mm-hmm. Aha. Okay, you were right. I don't. I can't picture her as Hepburn. Like I, I, I feel like they're. Okay, well, that's what it says. Um, in any event, she uh, was had a, had a big stage career uh, before okay. this and they in fact delayed the start of this film so she could finish her Broadway run uh, on, on Gigi before before making this movie and they ended up playing it like several months for her mm-hmm. and this is before she had started on anything in Hollywood um, but this was really the breakout role for Hepburn um, so this is your first exposure to her what you think? Um, she's quite a ringer yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> she's got a lot of a lot of screen presence. Um, she's good at playing. Well, in this movie, she was very good at playing that kind of um, like sort of naive or in, unaware um, like character. Yeah. Who seemed very vulnerable. Um, and also, like, she's very cute. Yes. Yeah. That is. Uh, yeah. No, no denying that. that. 
Um, uh, it was Catherine Hepburn in the in the Aviator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. Of course, because Gene Hughes dated. Yeah. That. Yeah. For a long time, like when I was younger, I thought yeah. that Catherine Hepburn and Audrey Hepburn were, were related. They are not. They're not. They oh. just happened to share a last name. Yeah. Um, All I saw was Hepburn. I was like, oh. yeah. Okay. Got it. That makes more sense for Kate Blanchett. Yes. <laughs> yeah, substantially. Um, okay. So they play kind of similar roles in the film, but. Whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. I like The Aviator. We should watch that movie, too. Yeah. I've seen it. You've seen it? it? Okay, yeah. never mind. Um, <laughs> For but, once. Yeah. Uh, Audrey Hepburn here, uh, this was a huge, huge deal. Uh, Gregory Peck, before he took this movie, he insisted on first billing, which would mean that his name appears before the title of the film during the credits. About a few months, I think, a few weeks into uh, principal photography of this movie, he insisted that... Audrey Hepburn or uh, share first billing with him hmm. or else he will look like an idiot because she's going to win an Oscar and she's so great and he, does, <laughs> he won't, doesn't want to look like a fool being upstaged by the person who is billed beneath him. I see. Um, and he was right. She did win the Oscar. Uh, nice. And this movie ended up being nominated for 10, I think. Um, wow. Oscars. Uh, so, yeah, this was this movie was a big deal. Um, what, el- what other Hepburn have you seen, Crossman? Uh, nothing. You haven't seen Breakfast at Tiffany's? Oh, I almost picked that movie last week, so I'm I'm glad I didn't, because it wouldn't have worked. Um, (laughs) So, okay. That's the really racist one, right? That has a very racist, a famously racist scene. Um, So that's another reason not to pick it, I guess. (laughs) Um, But, yeah. uh, I'd forgotten about that, but you're right. Uh, (laughs) So anyway, this was also your first exposure to her then as well. Yeah, she's amazing in this film. Yeah. This is magnetic on screen yep and she makes the other actors around her look worse i think (laughs) (laughs) gregory peck figured that out too right like he realized that yeah um yeah in comparison like she looks so well suited to Mm. where she is but she's like she feels much more like a modern actor whereas Mm -hmm. like everyone else in the film feels like a play yeah which is why she was so such a breakout like she in in a lot of ways like she marks a a turning point from old Hollywood to a more modern Hollywood. Mm-hmm. What um, about her would you describe as modern? It just she feels natural, whereas everyone else it looks like they're in a play. Okay. And like it looks like she's believable. And everybody else is kind of these like sort of comedic stilted. characters around her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she feels more like a person. Yeah. Um, but the, one of the, she was famous for a lot of things, but one of the things that separated her from a lot of other female actors in her day was her build, which I mentioned earlier. She was a refugee um, and, and was malnourished for a lot of her life when she was younger, so she never filled out. She, that's why she's so small. Physically speaking, um, so she was making movies and breaking out the same time when the big names were Ava Gardner, Marilyn Monroe, Lana Turner, right? Like these curvier, larger women. This was the Audrey Hepburn was the first time you saw someone that slender mm-hmm. in a in a romantic role, like that petite. Okay, um, and she became a style icon for in a large part because of that, because that she made that body type visible on screen. Um, and this was it, Roman Holiday was really the first time you would see someone yeah. on that kind of stage look like Audrey Hepburn. 
uh, and that it, to that alone makes this a super important movie. Yeah, she makes Peck look like an ogre, like master. <laughs> yeah, like, and Peck's a big guy. Yeah, like, he's, he, he is. He's tall. He's over. He looks, looks like he's over six feet. He also looks yeah. a lot older. He is. That's like a thirteen-year-old. Yeah, guy, it's not as bad as the like Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, yeah it's not. That's not quite yeah, that. Yeah, back and yeah, Jimmy Stewart looks like he's eighty, and like yeah, uh, and they they <laughs> age him on purpose here. But yeah, this one they, they there is a noticeable gap, and it is it becomes this kind of paternal thing because she starts talking about how she's in school when she's trying to. Hide her identity, yeah, which is a little weird. Yeah, because I think the character is supposed to be like seventeen or something, like pretty young. I don't recall them saying her age. Which okay, they they play her pretty young. Yeah, clearly, and they care lo- for her like a child. Yeah, and she looks young, right? Yeah, it, and, and and part of the arc in the movie is that she is infantilized at the beginning of the film. Yeah, and it gradually becomes more mature as the as the film progresses. Right, like she breaks breaks out of her confines and grows because of it. Um, and that's that's the arc of the character, but nonetheless, she still comes across as uh, very youthful uh, to the point of almost being childlike um, early on. And uh, you juxtapose that with the, you know, very the, like like we said, mater- paternal presence that Gregory Peck brings to any movie, mm-hmm. and the age difference becomes a lot more pronounced. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a little troubling, and another reason that Cary Grant probably would have been better here. <laughs> Probably would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they even give her like hot milk to go to sleep or something. Yeah, well, yeah. they dress her like, like this milk and cookies or something. Yeah, like this nightgown that looks yeah. just like a doll's dress or something, and and she has like all these old people tending to her and telling her what Who to look say. Ancient, yeah. but yeah, yeah. yeah. are <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly we're pretty old. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So like, and she's by a wide margin the youngest person that that appears in this film. Um, so yeah, she's super important. Then the other reason that she's important is the the stylistically, she was a fashion icon as well. Like a lot of what she brought to Hollywood and to a, a more visible presence was this kind of very European, sleek, trim, simple kind of dress. I can uh, easily see that she had like one street outfit in this whole movie. Yeah, but it was. It's an amazing outfit. Yeah, it's it. it you can call it chic. You can call it whatever you want, but it, it was it, it was iconic to to her. It she really was. was. A side saddle on a scooter too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which that's... I imagine would have been very hard to drive <laughs> if you yes. were peck. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Um, there's a. I think it was when they were making Sabrina. Um, they were picking. They were mostly pulling the wardrobe for that movie. That was one of the movies she did after this. I think it was the follow up to this. Um, they pulled a lot of her wardrobe from her for the movie from her actual personal wardrobe. Mm. And there was stuff that they were missing, and so they gave her, she talked them, the studio, into giving her a shopping list of clothing that they, she needed, and a bunch of money to go buy it, and into paying to have her go to Paris to buy all this stuff. So she goes to Paris with all this studio money, goes finds her, her favorite you know, clothing store in Paris with a dude that she knows that she shops with all the time, throws out the shopping list that the studio gave her, spends all the money on whatever she wants and comes back and that's what they shoot the movie in is what she bought because it was better than what was on the list. You're probably going to make up for the differential in whatever male actor salary she's like <laughs> right. being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. She deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> without oh, a doubt. Um, I think, that, yeah, that, who was the male lead in that? It doesn't fucking matter. But yeah, somebody. Um, so yeah, she is iconic uh, and, and for good reason. Uh, and this isn't even her most famous role. Right, like her most famous role is probably Holly Golightly, which is Breakfast at Tiffany's, then this, yeah. and then maybe like Eliza Doolittle. I don't think it's Breakfast at Tiffany's, but yeah, 
You don't think that one? No, I would think that one. Yeah, 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 Holly, yeah Holly Bill Lightly is probably the most iconic. Yeah. Um, What's the other role? That you Eliza, she played Eliza Doolittle in uh, My Fair Lady. Okay. Uh, and was it got some blowback for it because she ended up replacing Julie Andrews, who played her on Broadway and could actually sing. And uh, they dubbed Audrey Hepburn in that movie, although Audrey Hepburn actually can. She's not terrible. She can sing. Um, so Julie Andrews. Obviously, Julie Andrews is on another level. Singing yeah. in the Rain situation here. Yeah, yeah. Only in real life and yeah. Uh, but yeah, Julie Andrews is obviously on another level yeah. uh, than most people. Um, in any event, what did we think of the actual arc of the movie? And how it played out. We, uh, I, I mean, I said it earlier. I was like concerned for her most of the movie. <laughs> okay. Like, I, it, it doesn't read a lot of the stuff that I think is supposed to be amusing or funny felt like it, disconcerting. Yeah, has aged poorly. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, all sorts of stuff. That, yeah. Well, that, I mean, the premise alone, right? Like the idea that he's just going to string this girl along and like take secret pictures of her yeah. and. Like discover her secrets and then reveal them to the world for a bunch of money. Yeah, like that's that's not okay, um, and it's something probably that played more lightly. Yeah, the, and they like gave her like quaaludes at the beginning of the film, well, <laughs> so she's like, yeah, yeah they, that's why she fell asleep, <laughs> or like a no dose or whatever it was. In the, it was an injection. She was, an injection, she was sedated yeah. at the beginning of the movie. And that's when she falls assume. asleep in the middle of the street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like that part is a little. Uh, I mean, the movies from the mid '50s, sleeping medication was like new and popular, and so probably not super well regulated. Mm. No, I mean it was heavily prescribed. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, especially to young women who need to like have trouble going. We're to sleep. hysterical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I kind of so it, it's hard not to watch that now and think of like every warning sign about like oh she's going home with a strange man oh she's falling asleep yeah. in a public place oh she doesn't know anybody here <laughs> like yeah every single warning bell is going off throughout the beginning of this movie and it's like well but they just play it as this kind of cutesy scene yeah yeah like, and that oh, she's she's sleepy yeah if you were to shoot that today it, not only would you get a lot of blowback it literally wouldn't make sense like you couldn't shoot that scene the way that it was here and like have it be coping. yeah I, I think there's a, like a way to modernize this film yeah for, of course, for sure but just well, the, it's happened before yeah right? the, the prem, premise <laughs> like just the, doesn't yeah like this kind of rom-com structure where like they have the meet kid at the beginning there's some sort of subterfuge one side finds out the other and decides to manipulate it they grow to like each other the subterfuge is revealed they fall apart they get back together like that I've described yeah. literally hundreds of romantic comedies <laughs> right yeah, yeah. and but here you you don't have the like subterfuge subterfuge is revealed right yeah like that's where it breaks a little bit from that part yeah from that formula but it's still I mean it's revealed in the sense that she sees him at the end of the movie and she the discovers board. a subterfuge but she like, doesn't care nothing really comes of it yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, I, I think you see this structure played out obviously there were movies before Roman Holiday that did this uh, but Roman Holiday was the most influential, and I think you can see so many romantic comedies play with that same formula. Uh, they don't have Audrey Hepburn, so yeah. they're not as good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think she makes it because, like, I don't think her character's that sympathetic. Otherwise, I mean, she's so, a like, rich girl. She's a poor little rich girl. Yeah, she's just a rich girl who's sheltered and like, oh yeah. my god, she found herself in Europe like every <laughs> rich kid ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, so. Like, to me, it was like, nah, whatever. But Audrey Hepburn, like, makes it, like, well, I, I kind of saw it as, like, like, she was just born into this life where she has this immense responsibility thrown upon her and that she had no control over. And she has to spend pretty much every day of her life serving these royal responsibilities. 
Um, whereas now she ran away and, you know, finally gets a day to just be herself and like kind of discover the world as yep. it really is. And I thought that was nice to see. Like if I separate that from the creepiness of Gregory Peck leading her along, um, it was nice to see her like be able to actually like, just be separated from her life. Yeah, but, which is. But I think that's like Hepburn. Like I sympathize because like she plays it well and it mm -hmm. feels natural and like she's into it. But like if you just told me that structure, I'd be like, whatever. Rich yeah, people. I mean, but like th that's yeah. a lot of movies, right? Where you just yeah. describe the structure of the film and it sounds like a big old nothing or something that you've seen before. Yeah, yeah and her acting yeah. makes it. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, she goes a long way towards making this movie work. But this movie also won a writing Oscar, um, and that okay. yeah and I think there's something to that right I think that there there is some merit uh, to that award um, so to just say that it's all Hepburn it, to a certain degree that's right because it's a lot of Hepburn mm -hmm. but there's a it, like just the, the idea that this character that they don't have the moment where like I think if you were to make this movie today Gregory Peck would come up with his scheme about, you know, oh, I'm going to get this $5,000 and he would like call up his buddy and he would say, hey, I have a scheme to get $5,000 and I can cut you in and oh, do you think this is a good idea? It might not be such a good idea. Do I want to manipulate this girl? Maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to go for it. And like they do this whole like explain everything. And like this movie doesn't do that, right? Like they put it on you to take the trip with Gregory Peck where, and, and see him get there on his own and not have to like talk it out. So I think that there's a lot of showing there's a lot of there's a, enough naturalistic dialogue especially for the the Audrey Hepburn character for it to for it to work to me I think there's a lot of ways that this kind of simple story can be told a lot worse than it was here mm. um, and there's value in that yeah uh, the guy who won the Oscar for this did not write this movie uh, so the the production behind this movie is uh, almost as interesting as the movie itself. It was written during the Red Scare. Yeah, that was mm -hmm. what I thought when you said that. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so the guy who actually wrote this movie was Dalton Trumbo, um, who was one of the Hollywood Ten. He wrote it a few months after being serving nine months in jail, I think, mm -hmm. uh, because he refused to testify and name names in front of HUAC. Um, but he was blacklisted when he got out of jail and essentially didn't have any money, um, couldn't feed himself, couldn't feed his family. So he ghost wrote this movie for a different writer who submitted it under his name mm -hmm. to the studio and sold it for, at the time, a lot. Um, and it was another one of those open secrets where most people knew that Dalton Trumbo wrote this movie, but another gentleman won the Oscar for it. Yeah. Uh, so it was often viewed as the Academy rebuking the blacklist when this movie won. Um, and eventually, many years later, he got official credit uh, for, for writing this movie. But this is a, a, a famously a movie that, that uh, got, didn't break the blacklist, but got around the blacklist. Um, and he did that a couple times. There was another one that also won a writing Oscar mm -hmm. that um, he submitted under a false name. So the, the, the guy that actually who was named during the Oscar ceremony didn't show up. <laughs> he uh, just wasn't there to accept his, his award. Um, so it's, it's an interesting movie in that sense uh, as well, yeah, I think. It's, um, it's interesting to see the shots on location in Italy because this is a post-war Rome. Yes. Like within just like a couple of years, right, of World War II ending or a few years. Is this supposed to be set after World War II? Yeah, I think yeah. it's just present day. Because yeah. they didn't really like... 
address they kind of no, they kind of do because they're talking about like what she thinks about European politics, and she's trying to she like says that like cooperation is good. I think they're kind of like implying that they're trying to like mend the continent. Okay, yes. I, I feel yeah. like the the genericness of what she was saying could apply to pre World War Two or even pre World War One, but I mean, there's cars around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think it was meant to be to take place when it was shot. Okay. She yeah. does sort of look like she comes from like a sort of World War One era, though, because it's sort of these like they make it look like an Eastern European kind of like small royalty sort of country. So I kind of wonder because yeah. she has like the British accent, so I wasn't sure if she was like you know a British princess or something. She's but... Belgian. Okay. Audrey Hepburn is Belgian. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see Italy um, and. Compared to my experience in Italy, it just looks empty. Like, Interesting. Really. I was thinking the exact same yeah. thing. Because I, yeah. okay, so I had just gone to Rome uh, maybe five months ago with my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was just, it was kind of funny because we went there and my mom kept asking me if I'd seen Roman Holiday, actually. Um, now you have. And I have now, yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember we went to the Trevi Fountain and it's surrounded by a layer of people like 10 thick or something mm-hmm, like that. Yeah. You can barely see the fountain through all the people. And she just kind of waltzes right by. <laughs> they yeah. have a scene around the fountain where she gets her hair cut. Yeah. Yep. And there's like kids playing on the actual fountain and there's like nobody there. And it's like a little depressing to see how empty all these wonders are. Yeah, I think that's the effect of World War II, right? Because nobody's going to Europe because it's bombed yeah. out. It's a husk of itself. So in Italy in particular is and probably a pretty good percentage of Italian men had been killed in World War II. Yeah. Well, I mean, in addition, yeah, there's far fewer people back then. The population. Global travel is much more difficult. Totally. So yeah. Rome's less of a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that, I think that's one of my favorite things about this movie. It's like it, it's the same reason I like the French New Wave so much is that it's shot just on the street of this city. Sure, and but like, it makes like, it looks like Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but it makes it look like these cities are travelable and enjoyable. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, in 1952, it probably and, was. Yeah, and, yeah. They, and they still are, but now they're <laughs> mobbed in such a way that you would just never experience. Yeah, not in that it's, way. It's impossible. Yeah, they're yeah, so crowded now. Like, if way. you if you took that shot of St. Peter's uh, Basilica yeah. today, there'd yeah. just be that long line of people going right across the plaza. The Coliseum, same. Yeah, yeah. The Coliseum slammed. But what what is interesting though is the sites still look exactly the same, except yeah. that there's like modernized buildings somewhat around them. But yeah. they still look very similar. So yeah, which, it, yeah, which I find that's what I like so much about this movie yeah. and French New Wave, New Wave as well is that yeah. it, it feels so transportive, right? Like that you are very literally looking at what this place was like yeah. back in you know the fifties or the sixties or whenever it was shot, because um, it's just these are the people that live there on the street and like they they there were enough bird's eye shots in this film that you know they they weren't all extras. It was just the people mm-hmm. that were there, and that to me feels like such a such a treat to be able to. To see what a place was like, you know, Absolutely. fifty years ago, like that's that's really cool to me, and I like that about these kind of movies. Um, I agree with that. I really yeah. like the way this film was shot because it really feels like you're there. Mm-hmm. So you are like, there. <laughs> like, I yeah. mean, I'd kind of just been there, and I yeah. remember, right? So it brought me right back. Um, and like, since it's Rome and it's like a very old city, and they keep it all kind of similar city. the way it was, um, you know, things haven't changed that much there, so it's even closer to being there. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of funny because they have all these really wonderful shots of a lot of the landmarks in Rome. And it kind of makes me like appreciate having been there even more now that I've seen this movie, like kind of retroactively. 
even though when I was there, I already know, like, you know, these are, like, great landmarks in the city and, like, I appreciate what the Spanish steps are. Yeah. Um, but now I appreciate them even more. Yeah, the film has a the heightening effect, yeah. right? Like, it just makes everything feel, like, a little bit more. Uh, Late in the film, they get pushed into the river by one of her bodyguards. Right. And I winced at that. I was like, <laughs> I remember. You don't want to go in there. Like, yeah, that, is, I walked that past, is not water you want to go I went to <laughs> that exact bridge uh, under which they got pushed. And I looked down there a little bit and it looked really disgusting, actually. Yeah. There's no grassy bodies. area where you could have like a river party. Yeah. It looked more like the LA River. <laughs> It was just like really gross. Yeah, but I mean, with actual water. I know. don't know what the status of that river was back in 1952. I bet the sewers go right into it. Yeah, but probably <laughs> yeah. not great. Probably yeah. not great. Yeah, and that was probably the actual river. Like they just. Oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah, they just went right in there. Yeah. Yeah. So I when I yeah. did that, I was like, ugh. Like, and then they had <laughs> to like wash my hands. Better, yeah. Better. Yeah. They had a nice and clean. smelly first kiss. Yeah, and then yeah. they go and smooch under the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, William Wyler, director, um, had a fight for that. The The studio wanted uh, this to be just shot on set in L.A. Um, and he had to really, really fight to get this on location. Mm. And that's why it's in black and white. The deal, yeah. that he, the deal that he brokered with the studio was that he would cut costs by shooting in black and white if he could shoot on location. It would have ruined the movie if they... If they shot in color? If, no, in... Well, I, I actually think it looks good in, in he, black and white. He wanted it in yeah. color. Um, and he would have shot it in color if he could. Yeah. Uh, that's what but shooting on a studio, it would be oh, awful. It would be an unwatchable movie. Yeah, it yeah. would be yeah. much worse. Yeah. yeah, like, so much of this movie... Everything is, would be interior. Yeah, so much yeah. of this movie is wrong. Being on location is so good. Like, they're at the cafe right outside the Pantheon, yeah. right? Like, yeah. It's it's so atmospheric. It's great. Yeah, and, and William Wyler knew that. Like, he knew that this movie had to be in this place. And all those goofy little cars, like, yeah. they, you wouldn't have replicated that. Like, oh, they yeah. did have the funny little bit of Gregory Peck getting out of Irving's car, because yeah. he's huge and the car is <laughs> yeah. tiny. That was funny. I that remember funny. being in Italy and noticing that, that's like still a thing. It's like European cars are still tiny. Yeah, well, and you're tall. You're like six, one. Six, three. But, Whatever, uh, yeah, you're yeah. tall. <laughs> yeah. But, but, no, like, even when I was there, it looked like the same Cars were still like in use, <laughs> literally yeah. the same car. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if if they shoot this on set, like the well, best, uh, the Vespa thing doesn't happen, right? Like this movie made Vespa oh, yeah. really popular. That's yeah. the most popular, the the most famous shot in this movie. This is why tourists go and break their collarbones in Italy, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. And Vespa sales actually Wait, is this the reason Vespas are iconic? Yes. Yes. Like yeah. the, Vesp, the uh, yeah. sales for Vespas skyrocketed after this movie. I bet came Italian travel skyrocketed yeah, as I well. Have no I, doubt. Yeah. I have absolutely no doubt. Yeah. And it, it's the most famous shot in the movie, the two of them on that Vespa in front of the Coliseum. It's, it's on the poster. Yeah. Um, she escapes deal. in a three-wheel truck. Yes. And I remember very distinctly in Italy, there's still like these weird little like <laughs> yeah. maintenance trucks that are three-wheeled. She hops I, in the and back. I remember distinctly also that they were called gorillas. Like the, Really? Yeah. <laughs> With an O or like gorilla, like gorilla warfare? With an O. Okay. Like the creature. Like yeah. the animal. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I was wondering. If, I did notice that. I was like, that's a weird looking thing. It's still a thing. I remember being wow. in, um, where uh, north of Rome, and I remember seeing trucks like that. Yeah. Wild. Did yeah. you hop in the back and go with someone? <laughs> no, it looks dangerous. It, it, <laughs> it does in the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't surprise me. I didn't notice those. Yeah. yeah. They, have a little... they look like you can push them over. Like, oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's such a big back, right? Like the weight distribution on that thing must be a mess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the, I don't know. I was reminded of this when you talked about the kids in the, in the fountain. Um, I think we would be remiss to not mention the scene where Gregory Peck attempts to mug a child. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, oh my camera. God. I forgot about that. that was was a, like, what the fuck is this? That was a low moment in the film. <laughs> yeah, He's like desperately trying to get something to photograph Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Because uh, his partner photographer Irving like has refused to meet Doesn't him. show up, yeah. So he tries to steal a camera from a kid who's like on a <laughs> field trip. Yeah. To the Trevi Fountain. Yeah. I was like, what the hell is this? The kid handles it really well. Right. Too. Like, yeah. natu- like, very natural. And, <laughs> She's and like, what are you doing? And, like, their guardian had to come along and, like, intervene, and he runs off. Like, yeah. Fucking crook. It's like, what are you doing, you degenerate? Yeah. And that's early in the film. That really yeah. set, like, a tone. And he's still, like, essentially stalking her at that point. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and that was, like, really what set me off. It was yeah. like, this is Yo, bad. Like this is really bad. bad. I hope she like gets away. Like <laughs> she does not. Yeah. Um, although it, it was kind of funny to consider it from uh, Gregory Peck's perspective in that moment because he had just given her like his not his last lira but um, half of his last lira yeah. to like buy a cab to get home and she like goes and gets a haircut and buys some ice cream yeah. and like hangs out in front of the fountain. Yeah. And he, you can only imagine like what he's uh, imagining right there. I, I found that pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah and her. <laughs> Barber is also a, a creep too. Kind of a stereotype. Very uh, much the oh stereotypical boy. Italian yeah. boy guy. Yeah. Um, who she ends up dancing with. And yeah, he turns out to be a nice guy. Yeah, and but, he intervenes in the fight with yeah. the the Belgian Secret Service. Still comes across like poorly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Um, but that there's a fight scene in this movie. Like this, yeah, this movie has it's like an a, movie. a relatively extended fight scene. Yeah, a bunch dance. of Secret Service guys. Get, yeah, the, the th- what, three or four up. of them. It was really funny when they set yeah. them up and they were getting off the plane. They yeah. said, oh, we wanted uh, planes clothes guys to <laughs> yeah. fit in, right? And they yeah. just all look really obvious. And <laughs> They're all walking like in a single file line in matching black hats yeah. and black suits. <laughs> yeah. Like, not subtle. Um, but yeah, somehow the the Audrey Hepburn, Gregory Peck, Gregory Peck's friend, and the barber all managed to defeat like a dozen Secret Service guys. Yeah, it played out different than I was expecting. I was expecting, like, the barber's friends to, like, jump in and, like, save them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. That's, not what, that's not what happens. She hits him on the head with a, a guitar. With a guitar. Also, there's a brief moment where she's dual-wielding broken beer bottles. Yeah. Oh, I like, missed that. There's, like, a quick shot of it. I was like, what the hell? And she's just, like... She knows ready, how to rumble. Ready to stab somebody. Yeah. I was like, all right, Audrey, get in there. <laughs> I wonder if that's one of the, like... No, nah, I can't be... It's, that's a myth. Like even like an adult man, like can't break a, oh, a, yeah. a beer bottle on a table. Never could, mind Audrey Hepburn. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> like there's there are videos you can look on YouTube if you're looking for something like semi gruesome of people attempting to break beer bottles over their own head. Oh no! Oh god! It does not go great. I bet it doesn't shatter. They probably no, just club they just themselves. Club them. no. <laughs> yeah, I remember I saw oh, one like crack a crane. Where one guy tries like three times in a row in pretty rapid succession yeah. to break the beer bottle over his own head. And he eventually gets it, but at this point he's like nearly concussed and has a giant cut. <laughs> it does not go well. Yeah, that dude was drunk. There's a, a famous old internet video where this like local news reporter was like trying to show how easy it was to shatter car no. windows. <laughs> and he like just is hitting it multiple times with a hammer. And yeah. eventually it does shatter. And he apparently he cut all the tendons in of his hand. Of course he did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, they're built to resist that. Like, the beer companies don't want you stabbing people with their bottles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. It's like, come on. Um, but, yeah, yeah, Audrey Hepburn pulled it off. I love to see her try and <laughs> break every bone yeah. in her forearm. Yeah, like. I mean, he's, like, frail. 
Like, yeah, even, exactly. Yeah, yeah, to begin with. No, it's the shot. It gave her superpowers. There so it see, is. That's how it works. It's her origin story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something like that. But yeah, there's a, there's a, if you look quick, there's a moment where she has one in each hand. And like, I got, I got to I gotta scrub through that again. I missed that. <laughs> yeah. She seems pretty quick to like turn against her. This is, is I'd assume, is her secret service. Yeah. Like, to, who's come to save her. Essentially, soldiers. If she's violently attacking them. <laughs> yes. She doesn't want them to take her back. Yeah, yeah. yeah apparently not. Yeah. yeah. She goes at it. And they get that good shot of her with the with the guitar um, smashing the guy in the head. It's an A-plus photo right there. A-plus photo, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a fight scene here that uh, does not turn out as it probably would if it, if it were really, like, three to one. Or Gregory <laughs> Peck, apparently a pretty good fighter, too. Well, Gregory Peck's a big guy. Yeah. yeah. He takes a good hit at the end. He's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't expect it to go to full fisticuffs. Like that did. It seemed pretty, a little out of place. Pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah they were ready to. They were ready. Yeah, to it's fight. like a bar rumble. Like, yeah. Like. Uh, how did the end of the ending of this movie play? Where they're in the ballroom and she identifies them and gives her a little speech. I think for me, like it plays against expectations because, like in yeah. a traditional rom com, you're like, no matter how they twist the plot, they're going to end up together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they don't end up together is, like, still surprising. Yeah, right, and, and they have that long shot of Peck walking by himself down the hallway, and you're just waiting for her to, like, pop out to go up and kiss him or something, right? Because, I don't know, they are they purposely implying that that might happen? I think so. Or yeah, is that yeah, a modern rom-com playing, No, they're playing with your emotions okay. there. Yeah. That was a beautiful shot, by oh, the way. Oh, yeah. That was really great. stood out to me. I love that shot. Yeah, I mean, when you're shooting in that space, it's kind of hard not to get a beautiful shot, but they, that one but especially like, looks nice. Having the camera walk backwards while he walks at the camera uh, yeah, was and a great it, effect. It was a pretty immobile camera for a lot of the movie, too. Like, you yeah. get you have a tracking shot, like, when they're on the Vespa, um, but a lot of the movie is just, like, pretty stationary. Right. Saving money. Yeah, they are saving money. And, yeah. like, there's no steady cam, right? Like, there's nothing like that. So they saved their money for that shot. Yeah, I it think they, worth it. I it think they great. did. Um, and it makes that makes it stand out more, right? Like when there's nothing else that looks like that in the movie, like it's more memorable because it stands apart because it's unique. It was great seeing real Italian money too. Yeah, the, the hilarious, yeah, yeah. hilarious shapes it that it comes bad. in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, I, I like that at the beginning of the movie when he offers her a thousand lira, and he's like, "Oh no, I can't accept that much." He's like, "It's about a dollar fifty. Yeah. Not that she would understand what a dollar, like the dollar fifty right. is either. Right? I guess she, she might have a better idea of that than a lira. Gregory Peck ends up like pretty out at the end of the movie. Like he's given away all this money. He, <laughs> he's getting money taken out of his salary because he lost a bet with his. Boss. And he owes money to his photographer, and he's like screwed up his job essentially. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he was pretty poor to begin with. Like he opens yeah. the movie like losing a bunch of money playing poker. He, he can't pay his rent. <laughs> yeah, he's two months behind on his rent. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, in that sense, him deciding to go in on this scheme with his boss makes a little bit more sense because he's nearly broke. Yeah, he yeah. talks about and, like buying a ticket back to New York as soon as he can. Right. Yeah, he wants to leave apparently. And How did he end up there, I wonder. I, who the hell knows? Um, so I, I, in that sense, like I think it makes him a little bit more sympathetic because he really is in a desperate situation. On the other hand, he's still an abusive jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, historically, he could have been there at, like, the end of the war, which would have been an exciting time. And then when the war is over, it's probably, like, time to get out. You want to be back in the U.S. at that point. Yeah, which would make sense. Everybody in the U.S., like, you walk into any office in New York and get 
a great job. I'm like, <laughs> Immediately. Yeah. They're just like, do you, have a, do you have a degree? Yes. Yeah, Can like, you read? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, in that sense, uh, there's some interesting economics here. Uh, I did the, since I remember you always curious about the inflation in the movie. Yeah, I didn't look it up, but I was interested to see $5,000. I bet it was a, a king's ransom. It was like, yeah. it, what was it? It was like yeah. 65 grand or something. Yeah. It was like a lot of money. To, so it was a year's salary for one, yeah, for one story. Yeah, for photographer, it probably would have been a year's salary too. Right, like the fifteen hundred that he was like. Yeah, and the five—that's a five hundred dollar bet, which would have been about six thousand bucks or so at the time. Like, yeah, and I'm sure his rent is like four thousand lira or something. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. <laughs> so he's, that he's behind on two months somehow. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he was actually looking at a pretty tidy payday if he if he decided to pull the trigger. Um, so him they need those subtitle old movies with like, <laughs> yeah, this like is an updated is amount actually, of money. This is what this means. Yeah, because yeah. um, the context is always like just could totally lost in the audience. I mean, you you look like, for their reaction to it, and you can kind of figure out if it's a lot of money or not. Right, but, but this one like it was kind of a subdued reaction to here is all the money you would make in a year if yeah, you write this okay, story, yeah. <laughs> right? That's uh, true. They're, they're yeah. kind of deadpan about uh, it. Oh, what struck me towards the end of the film is that like I, I don't know why it struck me so late in the film. I was like, he's basically TMZ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and then his photographer friend like is like he, he's paparazzi. He's paparazzi. Yeah. He's just paparazzi. Yeah, yeah, that did occur to me. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. He's yeah. he's just following around a famous person. He's just a dirtbag reporter. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but he's not. He decides not to do that at the end of the movie. He does uh, voluntarily uh, give that up. Yeah, um, a little bit, a little bit too late. I, I thought the ending scene was really sweet. Actually, I was pretty yeah. sold on it. Like, I wasn't sold on them being in love or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to see Gregory Peck kind of do his whole arc and turn and like yeah. make the right decision. It was nice to see. Um, the princess, you know, be able to express a little bit of herself. Like she kind of breaks away from the script and talks about how Rome was her greatest time. And you know it's because she had such a great time, uh, like away from her life as a princess. And that was nice to see as well. So it was nice to see these two people like fulfill their arcs. And she gets the pictures back. Yeah, she got the pictures back. So she not only doesn't have those pictures floating around, but she also gets to remember her time in Rome. Exactly. So, you know, I thought it was a great ending. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the ending of Lost in Translation. Right, like that they get this, they have like this time together that yeah. really can't, they can't come back to, mm-hmm. right? And they know that they are, there's no way for them to really be together because she's a princess and 13 years younger and he's broke. And, <laughs> and but they like have this moment, so they have this moment in time that's just like a, a, an isolated memory that they can never come back to, but then they get another little moment at the end of it where they can kind of acknowledge that. Like they can kind of say to one another, like, yes, this was important to me. I can see that yeah. it was important to you too. And like have that exchange. And I think that that would have been spoiled if they had done the thing where she like pops out at the end of yeah. the movie, and, right? And so that like had this kind of sweet melancholy to it that I, I think really heightened the movie, that made the movie more yeah, than just a romantic comedy. Yeah. Any other closing thoughts? Um, I guess it was also nice that she learned to accept her responsibilities as a princess as well, despite her enjoying breaking away from it so much, because they have the little moment um, in Peck's apartment where he says, like, you know, life isn't always about what you like mm-hmm. or something like that. And that's kind of the moment where she, like, reckons that, you know, she need, she has a duty to perform. Her country needs her and all that. And that's why she returns back to being a princess. And, you know, she says the thing about, like, if I didn't appreciate my duties, I wouldn't be back here. Right, right so at all. She's learned to appreciate uh, her importance and the responsibility she has. 
So she she gets some development on both sides there, which was yeah, interesting. I, I think she has a pretty clear and, and well-developed arc, really, like that she starts off as childlike and becomes more mature. It's like this mini coming-of-age story. She gets to reject the milk and cookies? She, yes, exactly. Very <laughs> obviously symbolic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I still like this movie a lot. Like, I, I think it helps to think of it as a 1950s movie and just know going in that, yeah, Gregory Peck is going to have some behavior that we would reject strongly today. Um, but as a you know, a, a study of where we were with romantic comedies and just the sheer importance of this as Audrey Hepburn's first major role. Uh, I, th- I think this is a movie you, you kind of got to see. And it's just, it's a fun, light, you know, comedy. Very fun it. and very cute movie. Yeah. Not yes. Okay. I, don't, I don't support dictators, so. Okay, okay, there we go. <laughs> there, there it is. Um, in any case, uh, we will be back in a moment with uh, things we saw this week and the movie for our next episode. Stay tuned. All right, we're back with things we watched. Uh, so this week I uh, did not see Black Panther like everybody else in the world. <laughs> uh, but I did see a movie that's available on Amazon Prime for free, I think. Um, it's a weird movie. It's from a few years ago. It's uh, from 2013. It's called Computer Chess. Oh, I've um, heard of this. I didn't get around to it. It's a fake documentary about a artificial intelligence chess competition it's set in 1982 and it's shot in a way that sort of invokes like camcorder technology of the time and uh, I liked it there's a lot of um, a lot of things that like if you spend a lot of time around like sort of masculine nerd culture that like come out through this movie um so it's a it's a competition between different schools and they're competing to or it's not clear if they're schools or if it's just like programmers but there are like school teams that they they make clear um but then within the tournament they they develop like all these different like archetypes of people in the tournament um and then it takes a very weird turn um and then it becomes like a weird art film eventually. Oh. Uh, it's very reminiscent of the movie Pi. Okay. Um, so if you like Pi, it's like a lighter version of Pi. Like there are humorous, humorous moments. It's not a mockumentary, right. um, like a Spinal Tap per se. But there are moments that are funny. Um, in particular, there is so the the primary setting of the movie is at this hotel in this like conference room where they're like doing the competition. But before in the morning before the competition starts, there's a separate gathering of people who are involved in kind of like a new age cult. And so they like use the conference room in the morning and then it turns into this like chess competition <laughs> okay. in, the, in the late morning through the, the <laughs> evening. Yeah. Um, so are they yeah. programming computers to play chess against other computers? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so they're not actually... I guess they would have to be chess players, too. Right? If they're going to do this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the movie kind of gets into that a little. Okay. Uh, that's, like, kind of part of the plotting of the film. two expertises. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's also an interesting portrayal of, like, sort of, like, nerd culture in the 80s and, like, early, like, computer culture. Um, and then there's one really standout performance. There's this guy, his, um, 
first name I think is Michael in the movie, and his name his character's name is Michael Papa George, and <laughs> his hotel room like gets canceled, and so he's like wandering the hotel at night, <laughs> and he's creepy and mean and uh, funny because of that. Okay, and, but he's one of the competitors. Um, he seems independent from his school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember yeah. seeing trailers for this back in 2013 and, like, meaning to watch it and then just not getting around to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's on Amazon for free now. I believe so, yeah. Okay. And, yeah, we're, worth worth watching. If you like Pi, it's it's similar to Pi, but, like, funny. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Aronofsky can be funny sometimes. Just kind of sometimes accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pi is like a very dour film, though. So. Yeah, yeah. And apocalyptic at, at times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen Pi? I have not. Okay. Well, we can put that on the list. Uh, or you can pick it. You have a movie coming up after after the segment here. Yeah, it yeah. seems. It starts very normal and then takes this like left hand okay. turn. I'm but you kind of see it coming as, as you're watching. So. Yeah. Okay. Pi or computer chat? Well, both. Uh, both, actually. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is why they're structured similarly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and Pi is also loosely about like artificial intelligence. So okay, yeah. Huh. Uh, well, Charles and I both live in the United States of America, so we watched Black Panther this weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was great. Right, it was fantastic. It was, it was just uh, really, it's really easily good. in my top three Marvel movies. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about it because my first reaction when I watched it was like that might be the best one, and the more I think about it, the more it definitely seems like yeah. the best, the best Marvel movie. Um, and what there's no question that it is the best Marvel villain. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's indisputable. Yeah, because um, there's so little competition. Like <laughs> most Marvel vill- villains before Killmonger have been pretty flat, um, or just the least interesting part of whatever Very movie they're in. Very one-dimensional, right? Just, oh. guy wants to destroy stuff. Yeah, yeah, or he's just like, what if, you know, Iron Man were actually evil? It's like, now he's like this guy. Okay. Uh, but the, the first Iron Man bad guy is great. It's, it's great? You think he's great? The um, the one that is... Jeff Bridges? Jeff yeah, Bridges. Jeff Bridges. He's fine. I, I like Jeff Bridges. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I like Jeff Bridges, too. Have you seen Tron? Not the original one. I saw Tron Legacy. Have you seen Tron? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have seen Tron. Okay. Um, so we can put that on the list too. Uh, I, I thought I, it, Jeff Bridges is Jeff Bridges, and he does fine work in Iron Man one. Uh, but Killmonger in this one, and Michael Michael B. Jordan just yeah. steal the show. Like, Absolutely. It's a complicated character. It's a sympathetic villain. It's a villain with history. Yep. It's a villain that you kind of end up rooting for sometimes a little bit, and it's a villain that ends up persuading the hero. To a certain degree, that never happens. That it almost never happens. It's such a big deal in this movie. Yeah, but in this so movie, he, yeah, he and the hero ends up at least partially agreeing with him. Because like it was funny because going into this movie or like when Civil War came <clears> out, you know, you find out about what Wakanda is yeah. and how it's like a hidden nation that's super technologically advanced. And the whole time up until watching this movie, I thought, why haven't they been helping out? Like, yeah. you know, black people around the world Which when is, slavery was happening because yeah. they existed, right? And that's directly addressed in this movie yep. as something that they did that's that the was maybe primary, wrong. That's yeah. the primary conflict. Um, so I was very pleased to have my questions answered. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, it's it, it it's a movie that talks about, like, the very complicated idea of black conservatism. Mm-hmm. And that is probably one of the most complex political ideas within the mainstream or anywhere within the mainstream. And it comes to a complicated kind of answer, but it doesn't give you anything clear. It, it, it's the not just the first Marvel movie, but probably the first comic book movie I've seen that has that cares about history in any kind of serious way. Yeah, and the, both the history of the place that they're in, because it's the story of this nation, but also the individual histories of these these two leads. 
phenomenally complex and great film. Like, I, I don't know. I, I can't say enough good things about it. Yep. And um, beyond, like, the story complexities, I mean, there's great art design. Oh, it's gorgeous. Like, there's all these different tribes in Wakanda. Uh, Wakanda itself looks great. Mm -hmm. uh, their costumes are amazing. Um, the action scenes felt pretty well choreographed and they looked really cool. Especially the car chase. Yeah, car chase car is chase sweet. That's great. Yeah, the, the spear through the rear windshield yes. through the front to stop the car. <laughs> like, come on. so like, awesome. I, I can't believe I haven't seen I that in a movie. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, it was so good. Um, yeah, like every beat uh, worked for me. Yeah, like, I mean, I'd say it wasn't perfect because the final battle between Black Panther and Killmonger just felt a little lame because they were just both in these Black Panther suits and fighting in the CG environment. And it didn't feel like a great fight. Someone pointed out on Twitter that they were surprised fewer people weren't talking about that fight taking place on a literal underground railroad. And <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> I didn't either. And like that is super <laughs> freaking important, right? Like yeah, the, that like that, I thought that was fascinating. Um, I, I for me that last fight worked. Um, I liked okay. the sound design a lot in that one. That they like played with the noise of the. The train rushing by, and that like they kind of brought the music down, and they gave, they gave time for the characters to actually have a conversation with one another, um, and just more time for Michael B. Jordan to th say things because him just like delivering yeah. his dialogue as this character is phenomenal. Um, so uh, for me, it worked really well. And then that that last sequence, like it, Killmonger's last line, is just that was that hit me it's really hard. So strong, it's it, that is so powerful and such a great way to end the film, um, and. Yeah, I, I could go on. Yeah, and on we, we and should on. at least before we end bring up um, this um, the sister character. Yes, sure. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's been right. I believe is her name. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, she was not in. I looked it up. She wasn't in that much before this. She had some TV appearances. I'd seen her in the Black Mirror episode. Okay, there you go. But yeah, I think she's British. Um, but she's going to be the breakout star here. Like she. Yeah, she was really funny. Uh, she was the one who could uh, take T'Challa down a notch. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she was a master at science and technology, which is awesome to see like a black right. female character doing that on screen. Right, but she wasn't just that. Like she wasn't just a Q character. Like it would yeah. it wouldn't easy to just like have her take that role. But she's yeah. doing more than that, and like has a role within the the royalty of the the, the family and within the nation. And she can as fight a, as a sister. Yeah, she just has so much going on. Um, and then uh, on, on top of the Dora Milaje characters, and like there are numerous. They, like for Ryan Coogler, it seemed like the the solution to the strong female character trope was to just have a lot of strong female characters that are strong in different ways and stand on their own, and it just stops being a trope at that point. Yeah, I think someone noted the male and female characters are all really powerful, and yeah. they don't get in each other's way in being powerful, yeah. and that's like a kind of ideal society in a way. Yeah. So that was nice. Um, we, I think there's stuff we've been talking around to not spoil the movie for Crossman. <laughs> he's saying in the so audience. He's, he's waving us off. Yeah, I mean, by the time this this airs, I think it'll be a couple weeks since Black Panther came out. Um, I don't know if we'd said anything that's that groundbreaking or anything, right? Yeah, yeah, I hope not. Yeah. Um, but in, in any event, like this is a strong, strong recommend. I'm, I plan to see it again, and very well may have seen it again by the time we post this. Yeah, I've seen the politics discussed a lot online. Yeah, I think there's a. Unsurprisingly, a lot of misreading from the left, actually. I think there's a lot of people uh, that I, I'm not looking forward to the Jacobin article on this on this uh, movie because I think that there's a, a, a bad reading of this from the left that misunderstands the film that I have seen a few times. Um, and 
that that's too bad because uh, I think that this movie has many progressive ideas and is important as a progressive piece of filmmaking, both in terms of both form and narrative content. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a shame that you can th- that so many are just taking the easiest and most obvious and wrong reading of this film, in my view. Uh, but that might be a conversation for a longer podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in any, in any case, I think we both just a very strong thumbs up yep. for, for Black Panther. Definitely. Go see it immediately and then go see it again. That's what I say. Um, what do we got coming up next next week, Grossman? Let's do, let's do Tron. Like, okay. Yeah. okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Tron's sure. a fun film. I, I My bet is <laughs> Charles will like it. Okay. But, I mean, uh, it seems like it. I think it's up your alley. Okay, I haven't seen Tron in forever, forever, ever. Yeah. Okay, great. The, the very young Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Yes. I, and not CGI'd Jeff Bridges. Yeah, just the real dude. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No Daft Punk though. Yeah, they weren't around yet. Them. They they might not even have been born yet. When did yeah. when did Tron come out? Eighty two maybe. Sounds about right. Um, eighty. It might be eighty. That is older than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Disney was into like digital stuff early, but okay, that makes sense. They had money. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, in any event, uh, thank you for listening, everyone. If you like the show, uh, please tell us. Tell your friends. Uh, feedback is is appreciated, and sharing the show is appreciated. Makes a big difference. Um, and join us next week for Tron, the original, the original, not the new one with CGI everything.